Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janitor Christofaro, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. This is our way of sharing what we've learned from grieving children, teens, young adults, and adults in our grief support groups about what they find to be helpful and also unhelpful after a death. Whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to explore and talk about what matters to you. Today's guest is Megan Devine. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Megan is a licensed counselor who specializes in working with loss, but she's also a writer, speaker, and ponderer of all things related to death and grief. She maintains an extremely helpful website, Refuge in Grief, and runs online writing workshops entitled Writing Your Grief. We'll link to her site as well as from her writing and speaking events in the show notes. Megan joins us today to talk about one of the more underground topics in grief, dating after the death of a partner. While some of you listening might be familiar with Megan, some of you might be brand new to her and her work. So would you share a little bit, just your background, your story with us? Sure. So in 2009, my partner drowned. It's been uh, six and a half years, and I still say that sentence and my voice cracks, mm. which is amazing to me because the, the way that I live with that is, um, is so different than it was in the early days. It still gets me. Catches you off guard. It really does. So uh, it was a, a perfectly ordinary, beautiful, fine summer day, and Matt and I went out for a swim at our usual river. And he was incredibly skilled in the woods, in the water. He was half mountain goat. He could climb waterfalls. Um, and there was no inkling that we had that the water was dangerous that day. But he went into the water and got caught in a current and drowned, and I went in after him. Um, and our dog came in after me, thinking that we were playing. Um, and I got out of the water somehow, and our dog got out of the water, but Matt didn't. And that destroyed me for a very long time. Most of what was available for widowed people was, you know, assuming that you're in your 70s and your 80s, which did not work for me. I was 38 at the time. And online, I mean, a lot of a lot of what I found, either for older folks, or it was really heavily religious, and I am not a heavily religious person, so none of that language really worked for me. And then in the... Um, in the therapy world, a lot of what was out there and continues, unfortunately, to be out there was very um, clinical and medical that there's a um, something wrong with you if you're in pain. You couldn't find it for yourself, so you made it happen. So I made it, yeah. <laughs> you use the, the term widow. Mm-hmm. So much of that is always associated with people who were officially married. Yeah. But you and Matt were not officially That's married. Correct. And so when you're using the term widow, it applies to anybody who's in mm-hmm. what they consider to be a long-term committed relationship. Correct. Yeah, and you can't decide that somebody's relationship was valid because they have a legal contract. I started claiming widows soon after, almost immediately, I think, maybe even the day that Matt died because, you know, people would say, oh, you weren't married, it didn't matter. But I I think how you choose to claim your relationship is entirely up to you. Only you knew your relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. And Officially legally married or not married doesn't make any difference. Together for 30 years or together for three, it doesn't make any difference. How you lived in that 
is what's important. And other people can think whatever they'd like to think. And when I think about the idea of people having opinions mm -hmm. about your relationship or mm -hmm. what you choose to do after, it seems like dating is one of those areas where people can have some really strong opinions about Absolutely. you should, you shouldn't, when mm -hmm. you should, how you should. Uh, do you have some personal experience with that yeah. that you could share? So first, before we go into that, one thing that I want to say right at the outset is that everybody's going to have an opinion on anything you do. And what they're doing when they're giving you an opinion on how you should be living or how you should not be living is they're managing their own anxiety. If this happened to me, I would do it this way and I would do it better. So that if this ever happened to me, which it never would because I do everything correctly, I would be okay. I would know what to do. So all I'll of be the able opinions, to protect myself. Exactly. Like I, I would do this better. I would never be as much of a wreck as that person is. They're in for a surprise should it ever happen to them. And some uh, people too, those opinions can often come from a place of caring about the person who's grieving so mm -hmm. much and wanting to pr not only protect themselves against future grief, yeah. but also protect, and I say that word with quotes around mm -hmm. it, the person who's grieving. Sure. And, you know, we, we always want to remember that usually, not always, but usually the opinions and the judgments and the suggestions that we get from people around us come from a place of love. That's true. They don't usually land that way. Um, what they land as is um, intrusive and correcting, which mm -hmm. is not what a grieving person needs. Um, but looping back to that subject of dating, one thing to remember um, is you can't win. With yourself or with others. With people. yourself <laughs> or with others, right? So if you choose to start dating, some people will think it's too early. If you don't choose to start dating, some people will think that you're, you know, you're taking too long. And that's true with anything, um, you know, especially after a, a loss like this, like there isn't anything you can do correctly because everyone will have an opinion about how you should or shouldn't be doing it. So we always want to come back to the only opinion that you really want to take to heart is usually your own. How do I feel about this? So Matt died on a, on a Sunday afternoon and his funeral was a Thursday and the night, the, the Thursday after that Sunday, by the day of his funeral, people were walking up to me and saying, you're so young and you're so beautiful and you're so smart, you're going to find somebody else really soon, which was the most deeply offensive thing that anybody could say to me, as though my partner were replaceable mm. and that everything would be okay if I just found somebody else. That that would take all of it away. It would take all of it away. And, you know, that's, that's wrong on so many levels. One, um, people aren't replaceable. And two, that the pain that I was in was a problem that needed to be fixed. And the way to fix that is to plug another human into it. Do you think if you and Matt had young children together that people would have said something similar to you oh, given sure. your age? Absolutely. Within the work that I do, I mean, I talk to a lot of different people with a lot of different family systems and structures. And people with young kids often get that even more than I did. Mm right? Because, oh, your child needs another parent. But if you start dating again with what somebody thinks is too early after your, your co-parent partner dies, then people can come in with like, oh, it's too early for your children to have another parent. Like, don't you think you're rushing this? So again, we come back to, you can't win. You can't please everybody. So it really does become like, what feels right for me and for my family? Which seems to be the whole thing of grief, right? Is mm -hmm. really coming front and center with what matters to me, mm -hmm. what do I think, what do I feel, yeah. um, and which is really challenging to do because the feelings can be so intense mm -hmm. or they can be muted in the, I can't really feel mm -hmm. anything. And so it's yeah. like the Olympics of figuring out what's true for you. Absolutely. And so in the beginning, it's, it really is a priority grid. Like what, what needs to be tended to first 
And for some people, um, you know, dating is like, I didn't start dating probably until year five after Matt died. Now, some of that was logistics because around year three, I started the process of moving cross country. So there was no way I was going to start dating where I was living and then moving. And plus, we lived in a relatively small town. It was just really uncomfortable for me to be around that. And I also tend to be a pretty slow person. In general. In general. <laughs> in general, I'm a really slow, like methodical person. So even though for the first couple of years, you know, people were like, oh, you know, you're, you know, again, with a, you're so young, as though that matters, as though grief were a crisis of confidence, you know, somebody may be well aware that they're awesome, but that doesn't have anything to do with whether their heart is ready to welcome an additional person into their lives. And I really do think about dating as not replacing anybody, but adding someone. Yeah, like opening up another avenue in your heart. Exactly, exactly. And that the heart has that capacity. Um, one of the things that's really difficult for widowed folks is thinking like, what's going to happen to my love for my partner? If I start dating, will it get diminished? Will it get replaced? Yeah. Will it get eradicated? But that piece, I think, can be really central for the adults looking at, like, so my partner died. What does it mean if I'm interested in somebody else? What does it mean if I bring somebody else into my heart or my family or this system? And it, it, it really is adding somebody, an additional person. It seems like a, a helpful way to look at if you're bringing somebody into your family at some point mm -hmm. with children of letting your children know mm -hmm. that having somebody new in their life who might be sort of in that role, mm -hmm. the parental role, doesn't mean you don't have love for daddy or mommy. It's yeah. you, the, your heart is big enough yeah. to make space for And I think that's else. a great way to talk to kids about it and to talk to ourselves about it is that love is expansion and love is inclusion. And so, you know, we talk about mom or we talk about papa with everybody, with anybody that we feel like because they exist. You know, they, they didn't stop existing because their body stopped existing. And that, that's not about like whether you have a spiritual belief. It doesn't really matter. The truth is that they exist because you love them. And just the ongoing connection and relationship that's that you right. have. And with there that is person. one. And you know, we want to let kids and ourselves let that relationship evolve however it naturally evolves. Some kids talk about it, some kids don't, but that parent never stops being their parent. Mm. Right? You know, I, I talk to a lot of people who are adults now whose whose a parent died when they were kids. And that absence of that parent as they hit all of these different stages in their life. They get married or they graduate or they move or something comes up and they're like, oh, I wish I had my dad here for this. Even if I didn't know him, here's who I imagine him to be. That's a presence, mm -hmm. right? Imagining what that person, Imagining what that person would do or think, right? And there's, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we can also worry as parents, like, um, you know, they're not going to like some new person in my life or they're going to forget about their you know, birth father or their, you know, this person, important person in their life. And we can't guard against any of that. But what we can do as parents for our kids, for ourselves, is be willing to open those conversations. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be conflicted. And that, that idea of staying open too. Mm -hmm. I've heard some parents, their partner dies, their spouse dies in the moment of that deep, deep grief. Mm -hmm. It's some people will find themselves saying, like, I'll never date mm -hmm. anyone again. This was my soulmate. This mm -hmm. was the only one for me, mm -hmm. which I think is a totally valid thing mm -hmm. to think and feel in the moment where the challenge seems to be is when they then promise their child mm. that they will never date anyone. Yeah. So there's a bunch of tricky things in there. So one, um, when somebody's in early grief, and early grief is not a timeline, so you know, pick your pick your range there. If somebody is saying, 
that was the only person for me. There will never be anybody else. Don't correct them. Just let them have that experience. Because that's true and that's real and that's valid and it's true in that moment. And what may or may not happen later is completely irrelevant, right? They're in that pain now and that is what's true for them. So let's acknowledge and support that. And sometimes that remains true. The first couple years after Matt died, I would actually um, have dry heaves if I thought about being with somebody else. And what I, what I will always say to people, no matter what they're wondering about, like, is it time to do this or is it time to do this? If it makes you want to vomit, it's not time. <laughs> <laughs> That's your litmus test. <laughs> it's a fantastic litmus test, right? Because your body knows. It's never that it's going to feel good, but it shouldn't make you feel sick. So any of those things, taking off rings, um, donating somebody's clothes, deciding whether to date again, if it makes you feel like you're going to throw up, then don't do that right now. Which is different than the anxiety, stomach, trepidation Completely you might feel different. if you're trying to do something different That's right. or new. That's right. So it, it's not going to feel good. So we don't want to be waiting for when I'm super excited to date again and it feels awesome because that will not happen <laughs> the first time, first few times. It's not going to happen. And if you've made that promise to your kids, because remembering that in those early days, that statement is true. That is a completely true statement. So if you come to your kids and you say, I promise, mama will never be replaced and there will never be another, you know, and if kids come forward and say like, are you gonna date? And you're like, no, 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 I'm never gonna do this, I promise. Well, I think that's fine because what's gonna happen, maybe if things shift for you and you decide to experiment with dating, you can bring that back to your kids and say, you know, grief changes, doesn't it? Things that are true for us here are true and then hearts shift. But almost as a modeling to them that their, exactly. their grief will shift and change Exactly, the because the kids did too. You've got this eight-year-old kid who was five when their parent died, and they get to be eight, and they're like, I wish I had a mom here to come to my dance recital, which then sits right next to you. Oh my gosh, like, am I trying to replace my mother? That's fascinating and useful territory to be exploring as a family. How do we move with this? How do we shift with this? If you find yourself making a promise because something feels true to you at a certain point in your grief, but then that promise shifts, you talk about it. Yeah, go back to it. Go back to it, mm -hmm. right? And also coming back to sort of where we started with, you're not going to make everybody happy. I hear from a lot of folks who are like, I'm not going to date until my kids are out of the house. Well, maybe. I'm not going to tell anybody what choice to make with their family. And at the same time, what's informing that? What's informing that, that, right? Are you trying to protect them? Like what, where are you guarding your heart or guarding the conversation or trying to protect your kids from something? I'm always going to err towards, let's put this out in the open and talk about it. Certainly in age appropriate ways. Mm -hmm. um, I know several folks who um, with really young children are dating, but they're not telling their kids that because it's not age appropriate, right? But if your kid is a teenager and you've been dating somebody and it's becoming sort of serious and you're talking about doing family system things together, then you open that conversation in, in well-structured and well-boundaried ways because you can have a kid come back at any age and be like, you can't date anybody because they're not my dad or they're not my mom. Well, no, they're not, so how are we gonna talk about this? Mm -hmm. And how are, you know, as the parent coming in and saying, I hear how upset this is, how upsetting this is for you. Um, can we talk about it? Right, which is very different than deciding to um, shrink down your own world and shrink down your own heart to protect your kid. These are all opportunities to have discussions about how do we deal with this difficult stuff and how do we do it respectfully? How do we do it in a way that honors the truth for each person, but also still lets you be the grown-up? And helps kids, too, to... to parse out like what are their concerns mm -hmm. you're managing an anxiety there 
what are you afraid will happen if, if somebody knew hangs the Christmas lights the way that daddy did? There's a fear under there. Mm-hmm. And the fear is daddy will stop being special or um, you're, you've forgotten about daddy. So let's talk about that. Yeah, like and sometimes it's, there's the anxiety and sometimes mm-hmm. there's also the kids wanting to feel like they have some agency over what's happening because, yeah. you know, daddy died and mm-hmm. they didn't get any say. Right. I mean, all of this is a continuum. All of this depends on the very unique system in your family and where your kids are and what you watch. You know them better than any person on the outside. So doing that, and I think when we're addressing the underlying fear there or the underlying sadness or whatever, or the underlying love in there, then we can talk about agency that actually helps. What could we do that would help us as a family or help you feel like you have some choice in this? Or are there really special things that we can sort of honor and make special and see about this person, you know, doing differently? Like, I mean, I, I think about those intimate rituals, like tucking in or mm-hmm. taking me here, taking me there. And can we be mindful of those sore spots for our kids so we can sort of come up alongside those or respect those? But again, not kind of going overboard, which I think is really easy um, when you're watching your kids suffer. I think it's really easy to be like, I will do whatever I can to not upset them more, which I, I, I tend to use this phrase a lot that comes from parenting work, but um, it's better to put shoes on your child's feet than cover the whole world in leather. I think it can be like that, especially in grief when we see somebody we love suffering. We want to make everything as safe and as comfortable and as um, supportive as we can. Sometimes what happens though is that we, we don't help them build the skills that they need to be able to navigate the world and navigate their own hearts because this is hard. There seems to be a place of helping kids understand like what are they afraid mm-hmm. might happen and mm-hmm. then also the, the element of continuing to keep the memory of the person who died absolutely present while also making space for maybe somebody new in their life. And yeah. that can be a tricky balance, not only for the person who had somebody die, but for the person who's coming into their life. Yeah. I hear from so, it drives me crazy. I hear from so many people who started dating and in the beginning of that person was all in favor of like, you know, tell me about your partner. But then as the relationship goes on, they start getting really jealous of the dead person, asking to take some photographs down or please stop talking about them so much. For me, that's a full stop. There is a balance there. Um, one of my one of my uh, great widowed friends on her first date, she thought she had a great time with this guy. And afterwards he said, you know, on your next date with somebody, you might think about not mentioning your dead husband every single sentence. <laughs> Which is hilarious because, you know, we we're, we do that in the beginning. Like, this is such a big thing. Like, I'm going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, just like anything else, there's a continuum there. You want to you wanna feel like a person you're choosing to open your heart to or even go for coffee with, are they okay with the fact that you are in love with someone who happens to be dead? You don't stop loving the person when you start dating somebody else. You're adding, you're not replacing. And somebody who you are offering a place in your heart to needs to understand that they are joining something that already exists and they need to be solid and secure in themselves enough that they can do that. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to hear from your kids, I really miss my mom. And not feel threatened. And by not that. feel threatened. Or if they do feel threatened by it, they're enough of a grown-up to take care of it themselves mm-hmm. and not try to put a gag order on anybody else's heart. Mm-hmm. Like those are the people that you think about expanding your heart to include, the ones who understand that they're being welcomed into something. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't always show up immediately. And I don't say that so that people are like, ah, I'm wary of early warning signs. But to sort of carry that, because I it, it just breaks my heart to see so many people take that risk to care about somebody again, knowing what we know, knowing that the world can explode at any moment and things can change. And we didn't even get into that about how hard that is. To start to open your heart up to To start to open your heart again, knowing that they can disappear. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge 
thing that you know we don't usually talk about. You, you've decided to risk this, which is huge given where you've come from. We want to just have, be able to have that dialogue with somebody that they know, know and respect the life that came before. You're always able to talk about the person you love and have your photographs up and add their photographs to them because as you know, I keep saying, it's an additive process. And understanding that if they are 10 minutes late and they haven't let you know why, that you might be just a little on edge when yeah. they show up. <laughs> yeah, and those are good Those are good conversations to have. Like, there's, there's a lot of negotiation in there. I will not go on a date with somebody that includes whitewater rafting. Um, and I will, I will very often, so some of the people that I've dated are, are good friends of mine now, even though we're not romantically involved anymore. But, you know, we'll do good things like, you know, my friend got into a bike accident. Like, you did an awesome job of not dying. Thank you very much. <laughs> Right? Like, I really appreciate that. And I, I mean, Matt and I used to have this, um, you know, we would make plans for something and I would say, so we're going to do this to the best of my knowledge at this time, provided that nobody dies. Right. And it was a joke. Mm -hmm. And we would be sitting at breakfast in the morning, you know, at our, at our coffee shop. And he would say something like we'd be reading, you know, something in the paper about some disaster somewhere. And, and he would say, you know, I'm ready to go at any time. I'd be like, yes, dear, I know you're ready to go at any time, and I could walk out of here and get hit by a bus. I know, like, we talked about this all the time, mm, sort of as we know, we know that things can change mm. at any time, and at the same time, when things did change, I was not in any way prepared for that. You can't prepare for that, and the truth is, is that we're not in control of most things. So once you've lived that, you really can't turn your mind away from the fact that, I mean, you and I can be sitting here and one of us could be dead this afternoon, we choose to love and connect even knowing what we know. It's such a big thing to be willing romantically or not romantically, to be willing to open your heart and your mind to anyone else knowing that they can disappear at any time. Mm. It's a huge leap. It's a huge leap. Mm. And so, you know, again, we kind of come back to where we started. Your timing is the only timing that matters. And if you go into something and then you discover that this actually feels really crappy, you don't have to continue. And I think that's a huge thing for a lot of people is yeah. sometimes it'll be like a jump in what seems like pretty mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it seems like it comes a lot of times from just wanting to replace, not replace the person, mm -hmm. but to fill in the role that that person played. Absolutely. Whether it was your first go-to emotional support or the person mm -hmm. you celebrated day-to-day -day things with. It seems to be that like craving for just who's yeah. going to, I need someone to be in that yeah. role. And then it's like, oh, wait, I'm so not ready. Sure. If you find yourself in something that is not serving you, then you get out. And I hear from so many widowed people who are like, oh, you know, it's okay if they don't want me to talk about my partner so much. No, it's not, right? Like we keep giving up these, um, keep giving up, parts yeah, compromising parts of ourselves away and your heart is not the place to do that. Mm -hmm. I think we can go again to that continuum. We can go to the other side where we're too critical. Like they don't do this and they don't do this and they didn't do this the way my husband did. And well, they're a whole different person. And so it's all a work in progress. It, it really is about listening to yourself and at the same time pushing yourself. And then yeah. along the way, always checking in to see is there room for me? Exactly. Is there room for my grief? Exactly. Is there room for the love I have for this person? Yeah. And knowing that the first time you see somebody and you kind of have even the very briefest of romantic sparks shoot through your body, you're not failing. It's involuntary. It's what our systems do. Um, I, re I remember the first time I found somebody attractive after Matt died, and it was probably like a year and a half later, and I felt horrible. Like, how can that even happen? Mm -hmm. That's a really normal response. So for you and that, the sickness was maybe a sign you weren't quite ready to do more with that. Absolutely. But having the attraction wasn't yeah. something to feel guilty That's about. right. It happens. 
this, you know, you have that happen and you, what you can say to yourself is like, I have love in me that looks for an outlet and it doesn't have to mean anything other than that. We're so accustomed to having a receiver for the love that we have, which goes back to what you were just saying about sometimes we, we're looking for like that person that we're accustomed to sort of being in that dance with, that you get this part and you get this part, to having a team. And there's a desire to have somebody step in and fill that role and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, if you do that and it starts to feel suffocating or wrong or that you're going against your heart, then you can get out. There's no right answer for any of this stuff. And for many people, if the person they were with, they were married to for a very long time, they mm -hmm. got together when they were very young, mm -hmm. this may be the first time they've even thought about dating or gone yeah. on a date in like 35 years. Mm -hmm. And maybe the first breakup they'll ever have. Yeah, I remember first breakup that I experienced, dramatide, was like, wow, this really sucks, but no one's dead. Not better, not worse, but just like a very different, different experience. But going through that whole thing, it's like, wow, like I still have to go through this stuff. Didn't I do this <laughs> enough? Like wasn't sudden death enough for everything? Um, so it's tricky. I mean, that's the thing to remember that all of this is trial and error. It's all challenging. And there's some great stuff in it to find the territory of your heart so expanded. Thank you so much, Megan, for yeah, being here. I feel like we could probably do 97 more podcasts. There's a lot to talk about. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the amazing work that she's doing, like as I mentioned at the beginning, you can go to her website, which is refugeandgrief.com. And we'll link that in our show notes along with a video um, of a talk that Megan did recently at the World Domination Summit right. in the summer of 2015. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Dougie Center, you can find us at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot You can also listen to past episodes. This is episode 34, so there's plenty to choose from. You can find them on our website. Or if you um, find us on iTunes, you can just search for Dear Dougie, the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating or a review, that will really help other people out there to find our podcast. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.